I'm going to be uh, speaking on the inner self here this morning. And the question I'm going to be asking is basically this. What are you doing to grow, to cultivate, to strengthen your inner self? Um, by way of warm-up, we have been since May involved in what, we, what we've called the Growing in the Spirit campaign. A lot of people think that that is just a fundraiser, and certainly fundraising is a central part of it because we want to build a $4 million youth center, give away $1 million, and, and uh, pay off our debt, which will free up uh, half a million dollars a year to be used for ministry instead of going to interest at a bank. So that is part of the Growing in the Spirit campaign, but actually... Uh, what the Growing in the Spirit campaign is about more comprehensively is this. It's what we feel led as a body to be intensely uh, focused on for the next three to five years. And we, we classify it under three, uh, three titles. There's the Becoming, Building, and Bridging. The building part is about building the youth center as well as building the body of Christ in a number of different ways. The bridging part is uh, uh, this networking piece that we're doing, uh, being a bridge and being a catalyst for a bridge mindset in the church in the Twin Cities as we uh, bridge with uh, uh, the, the, the suburb and the city. We bridge uh, along racial lines, economic lines, denominational lines, tear down walls wherever we find them. It's that networking piece, and, and we've seen God doing a lot of exciting things about that. The becoming part is, is uh, about us becoming individually and collectively all that God wants us to be. Uh, the, our vision statement at Wilton Hills Church, the thing that unites us, the reason why we exist, is to be a, a community of spiritually empowered people who reflect God's love and advance God's kingdom in St. Paul and the surrounding area and to the world as the Lord leads, working hand in hand with other expressions of the body of Christ, that's the bridging piece, until all have reached fullness in Christ, until the kingdom comes. The becoming piece is about the first part of that Woodland Hills vision, to become a community of spiritually empowered people. And this is why, since we started the Growing in the Spirit campaign, I've been talking about discipleship, becoming what God wants us to be individually and collectively. I have thus far been focusing on our individual discipleship, and I'll continue to do that for a little bit more. Because uh, until we become uh, individually uh, who God wants us to be, we won't be able to translate that into becoming the community that God wants us to be. Uh, but I will, in, in, the, in the, the weeks to come, be transitioning more into the community growth aspect. What I want to do this morning is to uh, lay a foundational piece to our individual becoming. How, how do we grow in Christ? And I'll be building on this foundational piece here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and the, the, the specific topic is about our inner self, the inner being. So the question to be asking yourself is this, what really, honestly, are you doing to strengthen, to grow, to solidify your inner being? A couple of verses we need to pay attention to. 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair and by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. Here's the, the principle. The principle that Peter is giving us is this. Don't be obsessed with how beautiful you are on the outside. Be very concerned with how beautiful you are on the inside. Because the outside beauty fades away. The inside beauty lasts forever. There's this inner self that we're to be uh, attending to. Now, the way that he uh, applies that in the first century is pretty culturally conditioned. I don't think God has a timeless disdain for braided hair or jewelry. So women, you can uh, hear, or even guys, I suppose, uh, you, can, you can relax. Uh, it, it, that's okay. We're in cost. But uh, in the first century, those things meant something that they don't mean today. So there's, the application is, is culturally particular, culturally relative. But the principle behind it is not. 
We are not to be obsessed with the exterior. We are to be very concerned about developing the interior, the inside. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Clearly, whatever else Paul means by inner being, he sees the inner being as the place where God meets us, where God strengthens us, and where God transforms us. Our inner being is our inner sanctuary. It's this, it's this place inside of us where, where uh, the Spirit of God touches our lives and transforms us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, We do not lose heart, even though our outer nature, outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. Paul, like all of us, saw that his outer nature was wasting away. You're all wasting away. We're all wasting away. Let's just admit it now. Uh, we're wasting away. For Paul in particular, is because he was being persecuted and beat up and thrown into prison so much. He says, our outer self is wasting away. This is not pleasant. But we don't lose heart. Why? Because our inner nature, our inner being, is being renewed day by day. I'm getting stronger every day. Apparently, Paul, every day of his life, attended to what was going on in his inner world. The question we're asking is, what are we doing to strengthen, to renew our inner self day by day? Let's talk to God just for a moment about this. Lord, what I am so aware of is that this is such a foundational, crucial, indispensable, non-negotiable aspect of the spiritual life. Uh, God, this has got to be heard, and it's got to be understood, and it's got to be applied. And I'm not going to carry that responsibility. I will open my mouth. But Lord, we're here asking that you take the words and get, infuse them with your fire. Infuse them with your authority. And, uh, and impact our minds and impact our lives. And God, I pray that there'd be a jarring that goes on here where, where decisions are made in the, next, in the next 40 minutes that will have repercussions throughout eternity. In Jesus' name, we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What does Paul mean with this inner-outer distinction? The inside self, the outside self, the inside nature, the outside nature. Here's what he doesn't mean. It's a common view that I find Christians hold. It goes back to uh, ancient uh, Greek philosophy. But a lot of people hold that human beings are composed of two totally different things. There's the flesh and there's the spirit. And the spirit is good and the flesh is bad. That's not what Paul means. Uh, was, the ancient Greeks had the view that we are basically spirits encased in or imprisoned in a carcass. And so you have to really, you know, be mad at the body and downplay the body and scourge the body in order to release the spirit and become spiritual. That's not what Paul's getting at. The Bible has a very holistic understanding of the human self. We are made of body, soul, and spirit. That's true. We have different dimensions and different aspects to ourselves, but it all forms one self. From a biblical perspective, there's nothing bad about the body. God created the body. It can't be that bad. And Jesus is going to resurrect the body. It's going to get even better. The body is not in and of itself bad. The outer nature is not in and of, of itself bad. And the spirit is not necessarily good. In fact, if you're not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, you're at war with God. Uh, so just because you have a spirit does not mean that that's a good part of you. So from a biblical perspective, we are whole people, unitary people. We are in a fallen world, all in trouble. But when we're redeemed, it all becomes good. All right? So what Paul means by inner and outer is not good and bad. What does he mean then? What, what, what's he getting at? There is an important distinction he's making. Here's it in a nutshell. Our outer nature, what Paul calls an outer nature, is every aspect of us that is public, outer. 
It's what you can see, what everyone can see. Uh, it's what is on display. It's that part of you that's inclined to perform uh, 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 as a way of getting life, that worries about what do people think about me and, and that worries about you know, uh, uh, taking care of your external situation. It's your outer self. Everything about you that is manifest is part of your outer self. All your social relations, it's more than just your body. It's what you do with your body. All of our social relations, our social obligations, you know, all of that is part of our outer self. It's the exterior world and the way that we interact with the world. A person could say that your outer self is you insofar as you're acting, you're interacting with the world outside of you. That's your outer self. And it's not necessarily bad. But in a fallen world, it becomes the opportunity for a lot that's bad, a lot that's evil. In a fallen world, we learn very quickly that we can get some needs in our life met if we just manipulate our outer world in a certain way. We learn very early on that if we cry loud enough, we get milk. And uh, the trouble is we don't lose that mentality necessarily when we become adults. So we're always trying to impose our will on the outer world. We learn the word mine, you know, and, and, and we try to extend the sphere of our influence outside of our body on the world around us. Now, the trouble is that everybody else is trying to do the same thing. There's a limited amount of resources going around, and we're all trying to get worth and get attention and get riches and, 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 and whatever. And so we compete with one another for these limited resources. So this outer world becomes a scurry of helter-skelter activity where we're all vying for a limited amount of resources. And therefore, it becomes the, the arena where we get angry, where there's strife, where there's jealousy, where there's envy. You know, All of those ungodly works of the flesh arise out of the outer self. Not because the outer self is bad in and of itself, but because the world has fallen. And the outer self tends to uh, pull us then for more and more and more attention. The inner self, the inner nature, is that part of you that is not manifested to anybody. It's that part of you that only you and God have access to. It is you in your, your, your individual distinctness. It is in some ways the center of who you are. It is you when you're utterly alone before God. Uh, that's the inner self. It is, in some sense, your essence. Here's a way of thinking about it. Uh, here's a picture of my dad when he was five years old. Cute little guy, wasn't he? He grew up in Flint, Michigan. Uh, that, that, that's, that's Ed Boyd. Now, here's a picture of my dad when he was 43. Uh, ignore the cute little guy on his lap. You know, you're supposed to be paying attention to my dad. Uh, really, don't look at him, really. Is uh, and it's my sister Debbie, my brother Chris, and Anita. It's a, it's a touching picture for me. It's the last picture we have of my mom. She died two months after this. Uh, you know, so my, my dad was 43 here, three years younger than I am right now. You can see where I get my good looks. Uh, and, uh, uh, it, but it was a trying time for him. So there, that, you have the Ed Boyd when he's five, the Ed Boyd when he's 43. Now double his age, and th this is Ed Boyd. This is uh, about a year, well, half a year before he died. Now here's the question. What does that Ed Boyd have to have in common with the Ed Boyd that was uh, five years old? Uh, how, it, we, we want to say, I think, that they're the same person. It's the same, same guy, right? Ed Boyd older, Ed Boyd younger. But what is the commonality there? Uh, clearly, it's not his body. He's gone through a number of different uh, cycles of cells. Uh, we, we recycle ourselves every seven years, our, our C-E-L-L-S, cells. Uh, and... Um, uh, so he doesn't have the body in common, he doesn't look the same, he doesn't think the same, he doesn't act the same, doesn't even have the same relationship with God. Everything that is manifest is different about Ed Boyd, and yet we intuitively want to say that the same Ed Boyd existed from the five-year-old till, till death, right? 
What is that commonality that we intuitively ascribe to people? It is, I submit to you, our inner self, that which is not manifest. It is what the Bible calls your heart, your soul, your spirit. It is the innermost part of you. It is that center that endures throughout all change. In fact, it is the one thing that you take with you uh, after your body dies. It is that, that essence of you. The body will be resurrected, but until then, this part of you still goes on. It is that center. It is that heart. It is the place where you decide your character, the place where you decide your integrity, the place where you decide your virtue. It is the center of your will where you decide whether you'll be the kind of person that is open to God or the kind of person that's going to live for self. That's decided in the core of your being. It's that part of you that transcends uh, genetic influence and social influence. It is the core of who you are. It is, it is your will. And it is therefore the center of all transformation. It is the inner center of you, the sanctuary where, 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 where God most frequently speaks to us. He can get our attention by the outside world, but the still small voice in this inner sanctuary of your being is the place where we cultivate an awareness uh, and, and an ability to hear God. And all transformation, that's genuine transformation, starts in the inner self. Because if you try to dress up the outside self, the behavior, the way you relate, you, you know, you can try that, you can do that. But see, you can, you can tweak all of those relationships and tweak everything about how you look and tweak everything about how you talk, but really be essentially no different. You're not transformed. All you've done is dressed up what's wrong with you. Real transformation comes from the inside out. So everything hangs upon our being able to get in touch with that inner self and to open it up to God. Now here's the trouble. We live in a culture where uh, the very concept of an inner self is, is odd to us. In fact, as I'm talking here, probably some of you are having trouble finding a peg to hang what I'm saying on. Inner self, what is he talking about? We live in a culture that uh, has, has really, it's part of the matrix of the world that, that, that we're a part of. Uh, it, it makes us addicted to the exterior where all of our attention and even all of our self-definition comes from the outside rather than from the inside. The fall itself prejudices us in favor of the exterior as opposed to the interior. That's, that's because we're part of a rebellious race. But our culture intensifies this to the, to the zenith point, to the nth degree, where now we have a, a, a mindset. This is part of the matrix of Western culture. A mindset where, where the only thing that's important is the exterior. In fact, we are influenced by a scientific revolution in the Enlightenment period that's gone on for 400 years to believe that what is really real, the only thing that is really real, is the physical world. What you can touch, taste, see, feel. It's the empirical self, the outer self. That's the only thing that's really real. And we uh, have maybe beliefs about more than that, but what impacts us on a concrete level is the here and the now. And so there is an orientation almost exclusively to the outside. This is why we are inclined to spend so much more time and worry so much more about our outer self than we do our inner self. See, this is why our culture, this obsession with the exterior, this addiction to the exterior, the outer self, this is why uh, this culture has such a preoccupation with bodies. You know, we identify, we associate so strongly with our bodies that it's who we are. And so our, what happens to our bodies become very important. This is why in this culture, there's an obsession, you know, about, uh, about how the bodies look. Am I sexy enough? You know, am I getting too fat? Am I getting wrinkly? Am I losing hair? Of course I'm losing hair. But, you know, uh, and, and there's an obsession to try to stay young. In fact, we live, in contrast to almost every other culture that's ever existed, we live in a culture where, where youth is kind of worshipped. 
And, and the old are, are, are kind of uh, rejected. In most cultures, the old are revered and the young are ignored because the young don't have any wisdom, but the old have a lot of wisdom. But in our culture, we reverse the whole thing. Why? Because we're not really concerned with wisdom. We like bodies. And the young got the bodies. <laughs> yeah, us old folks certainly don't have it. And so we, we eulogize his bodies. This is why sex is the biggest marketing tool in this, in, in this culture. We sell everything with sex. You know, why? Well, that's what people are worried about. That's what they're interested in. And, and we worship, you know, uh, ripped abs and, and, and nice, tut buttock, nice tight buttocks. Uh, it's even hard to say, but that's what we worship. And, and uh, it, there's this, this obsession and, and this uh, anxiety that people have over their bodies and about growing old. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to look your best, with wanting to be pretty, with staying in shape and looking as young as possible. That's not a problem. But when it becomes an obsession, when that's our focus, when our worth is found in that, there's something very wrong. And yet we live in a culture where the matrix is telling us to do just that. It's the worship of the physical, the worship of the body, the worship of sexuality. Uh, whenever you have this addiction to, exterior, to the exterior, you'll have a, the, the, the worship of the god Aphrodites. And that's what's going on in this culture. Where sex is seen not as something that's desirable, but as a basic human need. Right up there with air, right up there with food, right up there with water, you know. Uh, and, and to suppress it. Why, the assumption that runs throughout the matrix of this culture just is, is that to suppress that is to deny a basic human right. It's, it's to be sick, it's to be demented, it's to be, you know, Victorian. And, and it's going to, you know, do something damaging to your brain. You see, the assumptions is permeating our culture. It's also why this addiction to the exterior is also why we are so f just frantically busy and stressed out. Because the exterior is taking up all of our time, and there's always more things to get, always better ways to look, always bigger houses to acquire, and if you've got to get a second job to do it, that's fine. The assumption is if, if this right here, the physical temporary thing that we're doing right now, if this is what's really real, then we've got to invest everything in right here and right now and grab all the gusto you can get. And, and uh, so there's this frantic uh, push to be uh, acquiring more things and, and experiencing more things, the here and now, you see. A lot of parents uh, get this idea. Uh, here's one way it gets manifested. When parents get an idea, some get this idea that they owe it to their kids to uh, have them ha experience everything they could possibly experience in life. Because right here and right now is the only time they got, and, and, and we don't want to miss any opportunity. And so you've, you've got parents who just feel obliged to take their kid, put them into ballet lessons, and then you take them over here and put them into, you know, get them into football, but they, they've also got to you know, try wrestling, and there's cross country, and, and then they have, they have voice lessons. Of course, everyone has voice lessons, and, and then piano lessons, and, and then there's the, the, the debate club that they got to go to. And, and, these, you know, and so parents are just running around helter-skelter to try to give their kids the best, Meantime, they're not even spending any time with their kids, so they're not giving them the best. But see, we, it's, it's the addiction to the exterior that gets us so busy and so stressed out. Uh, a book written in the early 70s was called Future Shock, and it predicted that by the turn of the century, the third, the third millennium, that we would, uh, the average person in Western culture would be working 15 hours a week because technology was just going to do the rest. The book's not selling all that well these days. It's <clears throat> but see, it's not about technology. It's about an addiction, an addiction to the exterior. And see, this, is what, this mindset is what the Bible calls the flesh. It's what it calls the carnal mind. I like to uh, use this title, worldling, for someone who's defined by the exterior. 
And to the degree that we are defined by the exterior, obsessed with the exterior at the expense of the inner man, inner person, to that degree, God will be experienced as an unreality in our life. We won't experience the reality of God. Because the reality of God isn't experienced in the outside world. It's in this inner sanctuary. And if you're not attending to the inner sanctuary, you won't be in touch with the reality of God. He won't seem real to you. You will believe that he exists and believe the Bible's true, but, but you won't experience it as a real thing. You're not investing any time in the inner man and the inner person. And all the things that the Bible says is true about the believer in Christ won't seem real to you because you don't experience it. Why? Because you're addicted to the exterior. The, the joy and the peace, the power, the confidence that Scripture promises a person who's an apprentice of Jesus Christ and as a new creature in Jesus Christ, that won't seem real to you. You will theoretically believe it, but all of your energy and resources and attention is being invested in the outside, so the reality just never, never creeps through. To the degree that we are addicted to the exterior is the degree that we condemn ourselves to living a shallow, meaningless existence where we uh, chase after one buzz after another buzz and one experience after another experience and we're frantically running around trying to just distract ourselves from the gnawing pain on the inside because we're not feeding the inner self. And because there's no captain of our ship, we haven't cultivated a character on the inner man, a boss that runs our life. Because of that, we're, we're controlled by the strongest impulse at any given moment. We're a ship tossed about by the, the, the raging sea. And whatever the strongest impulse it, uh, happens to be, that's what wins. Because we're not developing an inner strength and an inner character, spending time with God, because of that, uh, when, when temptation arises, we crack and we fall because we have nothing to stand up uh, against it with. And when the crises of life come, as they always do, when the storm hits, we buckle under because we haven't developed the kind of inner character and fortitude. The thing that Paul was in touch with, that inner man that's being renewed daily. If we haven't done that, well then the crises cause us to buckle under. And the result is that then we ask, where's God? Where's God? When all the while God's been trying to spend time with you to, to prepare you for storms like this. But if it didn't happen, well, then you have nothing to stand up against it with. And you can wish you were diff different, will that you're different, want to be different, promise that you'll be different, and pray that you'll be different. But if the inner person, the inner world is not being addressed, is not being fed, is not being strengthened, you will not be different. The most you can accomplish is by sheer willpower dressing up the external person a little bit. But that's not change. You'll, you'll invariably default back to the way you've always been. You're largely controlled by your environment. You're largely reduced to the level of an animal where you're just responding in predictable ways to external stimuli. That's how it's going to be except to the extent that you discover freedom by getting in touch with this inner self, that one part of you that transcends genetic and social conditioning. So the question is, is how do we get in touch with this inner self and how do we uh, learn to be, uh, be strengthened in the inner self? I'm going to say two things. I'll be talking about this more in weeks to come, but I want to say two things here uh, this, this, this morning. We looked at um, uh, the... the uh, the thing that Dallas Willard put out, the VIM. Remember the vision? V stands for? Vision. I stands for? Intention. M stands for? Means. Seven of you got that right. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we laid out this program that, that Dallas Willard has where he says all change involves these three, three things. Vision, intention, and means. Uh, and so if we're going to transform our inner self, we need vision, we need intention, and we need means. The vision is this. Get a, get a vision of yourself. Uh, get a, first, get a pleasant memory right now. Can you re remember something pleasant? Okay, now, 
however you did that pleasant memory, whether you see something or you hear something or you feel something, now run a future memory, if you will. What will you look like a year from now? This is what a vision's all about. What, what will you look like a year from now? And see, all change comes because we're pulled along by a vision. We're pulled by a vision that motivates us. I want you to get a picture of yourself. What would you look like if you doubled your private time alone with God? If you invested uh, twice as much as you're investing now in the inner self. If you really learned how to spend that time where, where God strengthens your, your inner self. What would you look like? Can you get a picture of yourself? Run a movie, a, a future-paced movie in full color and see how you would be different. Let God give you a picture of what you'd, be, uh, what you'd look like if, in fact, you were learning how to live from the inside out. If you were, if you were developing that, that Christ-like character on the inner self. Uh, what would you look like if, 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 uh, as you confront temptation and while worldlings crack under the t- temptation, you've got this inner strength to you that, re- that, that says no to it. And, and when the storms of life come, the worldlings, uh, you know, they, they fall apart and get all anxious and, and they, they have nothing to fight that with. But you have spent time with God and, and you've developed this inner character, this fortitude, this, this persistence. There's a peace. That, that characterizes you. Can you see it? Get a vision of what you'd look like if you'd spent more time uh, alone with God, strengthening the inner man. And uh, while worldlings are maybe chasing after all sorts of pleasures and riches, you have got wisdom. You've got wisdom uh, to see the shallowness of that and, and wisdom to see that that's not necessary. And yeah, you earn money like everybody else. And, and yes, you, uh, uh, you know, want to earn more to bless other people with and bless the kingdom with, but, but you don't chase after it. You've got a wisdom, an insight to you that you didn't have before. Run the movie where you can see that. You see, to the degree that we don't cultivate the inner self, to that degree, we, we, we ensure that we won't be growing in our maturity. We won't be growing in our insight and our character. But run a movie of yourself where you are doing that and where it's just all overflowing from you. There's a love that characterizes everything you do and a peace that characterizes everything you do and a joyfulness that characterizes everything you do. Why? Because there's this inner world that you've gotten in touch with, an inner reality that, 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 that oozes out of you. Get that vision. Can you see that? And now comes the intention, the I. Will you choose to do that? A vision without intention is just a wish. Don't waste your time. There needs to be an intention, a resolve, where you say, okay, this is, see, this is what faith is all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, it, 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 faith is about the, the, the concrete realities you run in your head, the pictures, the words that you say about what's going to happen, and that creates a, a move towards that. Uh, can you get a vision for how, how you'd be different if you, in fact, were cultivating this inner world? And now will you decide to do this? This is what faith is all about. You resolve that is going to happen. I'm, with God's help, I'm going to move towards that reality. I have faith that that is going to happen in my life. And then comes, number three, the means. You ask the question, what will it take to get me there? I know where I'm at now. I'm very much addicted to the outer self. What will it take to get me there? What are the means? And I'm going to be saying more about this in the weeks to come, but here I want to just say two things. One is about what we do with the outer self. The other is about what we do with the inner self. Two means here. Number one, we need to surrender our outer self to God, which is our bodies, but also all the relationships we have with our bodies. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. Uh, that I, He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want us to notice this. What we do with our bodies 
is supposed to be an act of spiritual worship. See, here's how the Bible's not platonic. It's not that your body's bad. No, your body can be an act of worship. What you do physically is an act of worship or not. It all depends on this one thing. Do you offer it up to God? Do you offer up to God? And so the, the way to break our addiction to the exterior and swim upstream in this matrix culture is to take everything that is manifest about us, the outer self, and offer it up to God. Dallas Willard uh, 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 prescribes this ceremony. I encourage you to try this. He says, uh, uh, we all need a, pr- a private ceremony before God that we do on a regular basis because, of course, we, whenever we make a commitment to God, in time we tend to, to take it back. So it has to be a renewal thing. But he says this, get, go before God. Spend a, 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 a day alone with God if you can. And then you end it by having this ceremony where you lay on the ground, you prostrate yourself on the ground. Try that sometime in your, your devotion with God. It is the most humbling position. In fact, the word worship, proskune in Greek, means to prostrate yourself uh, on the ground. So you just lay, lay yourself out, just like this. And then you talk to God. And then Dallas Willard recommends this. You offer up your body as a living sacrifice and do it with each member of your body. You say, Lord, these hands are your hands. You created them. You died for them. I offer them back to you. I want to use them in service to you. And Lord, these arms are your arms. You created these arms and you died for these arms and so I want these arms to be used in service to you. And these eyes and these ears and this nose and, the nose and this mouth, my genitalia, my, my, my feet, my legs, all of me is yours. You created it, you died for it, and now I offer it back to you. And you, as you do that, you'll find a breaking of the chains. Uh, the, the irony of the kingdom is that to find your life, you gotta lose it. This is dying to self. Uh, but there's a tremendous freedom because the stronghold of the addiction to the exterior is being broken. But we don't just stop with our bodies. Everything that we do through our bodies is part of our outer self. And so here you say, Lord, every relationship I have is yours. Uh, you, you take particular relations. You say, Lord, that belongs to you. I offer it up to you. I want uh, uh, that to be what you, whatever you want it to be. And all my talent is yours. All my money is yours. How I spend my time, is, it's, it's, all, it's all yours. And you offer up your whole outside self up to God. And that, more than anything else we could ever do, breaks the addiction to the exterior. And for us, in this culture, it needs to be done on a regular basis. Just say it out loud and do it to God. The second thing that needs to happen, we break the addiction to the outer self, and then we need to feed the inner self. Feed the inner self. The inner self, like the outer self, needs to be fed. If you don't feed your outer self very much... Uh, or not enough, it gets malnourished, it gets weak, it begins to die, and so it is with your inner self. It needs to be fed. It needs to be renewed daily. Uh, And the only way to do this is to take time to do it. It takes time to do it. Now, discipleship, we've said before, is, is also a, a, a moment-by-moment, daily kind of thing that we need to be involved in. We need, Paul says to take every thought captive to Christ. That means we always have to be detectives of our brain, noticing what's going on in our head, whether it conforms to the image of Christ or not. And when we drive on the streets and when we go to work, we're to be blessing people, we're to be loving people, we're, we're to be ascribing unsurpassable worth to all people at all times and all situations, no ifs, ands, and buts. Remember all that? Okay, so, so discipleship is a, a persistent, uh, day-long thing. Yet there needs to be quality time that we carve out to be with God. It takes time. Uh, Dallas Willard calls it the kind of Sabbath moments. It's the Sabbath principle. Do you, have you ever noticed how serious God was about the Sabbath in the Old Testament? 
And it, it, I think that the, the, the day thing is, is not a, a New Testament thing, but the principle is that there needs to be time carved out for God. That's just his. There's no shortcut to developing a strong inner life, just like there's no shortcut to developing a strong marriage. You know, you can, you can eat through fast food chains, but you can't do a good marriage through a fast food marriage chain, if you will. Boy, did that analogy get butchered. But... <laughs> There's no shortcut. It takes time. You, you can't just say, okay, we got three minutes here, uh, three minutes a day to get to know one another and fall deeply in love and be committed to one another. It's not going to work. It takes time hanging out together, getting to know one another, you know. Uh, so also with God, it takes time. And so there needs to be a time that we commit on a weekly basis, if not on a daily basis, a time that we commit to do several things. One is to just spend time with Jesus, to rest with Jesus. Uh, you go to that inner sanctuary. Find that all alone place where you meet with the Lord. I always just see the Lord coming to me and, and he says things to me and I say things to him and, and we just hang out. That's, that's why he married me, all right? That, that's, that's why. This is what we'll be doing throughout eternity. I, it's just me and him. Now there's times to pray with other people and, and all of that, but you've got to have a time that's just yours and just God's. A good way to think about it is this. I sometimes, when I pray, close my eyes and I pretend like I just died. <laughs> I'm a morbid guy. Uh, this is five seconds after death. Prayer is a beautiful rehearsal for death. And now everything up outer about me has gone away. It's faded away. And now when you die, you're going to be all alone. You have to walk through that door on your own. Uh, and, and so why not rehearse for it in prayer? Just cl close everything else off and now it's you and God. And you know what? If you rehearse for death... When you pray, you totally lose your fear of death. Why would you be afraid of dying? You talk to the guy you're going to be meeting every day. You know, it's like, I know him. It's, 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 it's okay. Um, so you close everything else off, and now you just meet with Jesus. The one who created you, the one who died for you. Everything else has faded away. This is the time where you worship God. Weekends should not be the only time you worship God. You need to set apart time, a Sabbath time that belongs to God, where you worship Him. Put in a praise taper, however you want to do it. And, and, and you spend time worshiping the Lord. You need to, we need to make a time where we reflect on our life, where we do inventory of our life, where we wean ourselves from the outside world and we look at ourselves honestly and say, how are we doing in terms of being kingdom people? How am I doing as an apprentice? Uh, some people you know, like to journal here. You get in touch. You get to know yourself here. You know how, how few people actually know themselves? Because their whole attention is on their outer self instead of also on their inner self. This is the time where we meditate on scripture. You take a scripture, chew on it, let God feed you this uh, as, as you go before him with scripture. God will give you insights and wisdom in this. Take time to listen to God. People often wonder, why doesn't God talk to us today? Well, he does talk to us today. The question is, is are we cultivating the kind of ear that can hear him? You see, God wants a people who have, who have pressed in on him and developed that sense to hear that still small voice. And, and as you do this, you begin to learn what it is to walk with God as he moves you this way and moves you that way because you're in touch with, with his voice. God is still talking. The question is, is are you turned into his frequency? And, and this time alone with God is where we learn how to do this. And this is also the time where we exercise spiritual authority, uh, which is simply our talking to God. When, when children of God talk to God, it changes the world. And this is the time that, that, that we spend doing it. And you'll find as you do this, there, this can become the most sweetest time of the day, uh, a, 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 a time where you just get renewed and rejuvenated. It, it brings insight into your life. Uh, you, you, you understand things better than you would uh, other times. It can, it, it can bring more energy into your life. Uh, you're just giving God a chance to work on you, however much it may be. Uh, and however much it already is in your life, 
consider the possibility that God wants more. And that's what he's been doing in my life. He's saying, Greg, okay, I want to increase that time. God has a love for us that is really to the point where he misses talking to you. He misses you. He's calling you to that quiet place, that secret place, that inner sanctuary, where you let yourself feel the aloneness of having just died, and it's you and your creator. Now, the matrix of this culture immediately screams out in our brain in this way, for a lot of us anyways. It says this, where are you going to find time to do this? Where are you going to find time to do this? Now, it's very important that we're very honest with ourselves. The way the matrix keeps a hold on us is through self-deception. So let's get very honest here. Let's say uh, you're considering three hours a week, to, three hours more to spend with God a week. And you're thinking, I don't have time. I just don't have time for that. Ask yourself honestly this one question. If I offered you $1,000 an hour for every hour you spent with God, would you find time? <laughs> all right, see? I rest my case. <laughs> this is true for all of us. So, you know, it, it, no, no, and and we, we have to honestly ask, what does that say about us? We'd do it for $1,000, but it wouldn't for Jesus Christ alone. The reality is that the time we spend in that secret garden, that secret place with God, alone with him, is far more valuable than $1,000 could ever be because this goes on for eternity. We're investing in eternity. We're building a character, an inner self that we take with us uh, uh, past the grave. Nothing else we do on the outside is going to do that. So let God work with you on this. I want to end this service here uh, taking five minutes to sit in silence, pretend like you just died, okay? Let's rehearse for death, everybody here. Uh, where you, I want us to close our eyes, try to ignore all the distractions, try to be very, very quiet. And I want you to ask God this. Number one, give me a vision or a, a sense of what I could be a year from now if I spent more time with you. And what kind of time would you want from me, God? How much per week to become that? Number two, Make a decision to do it. Resolve to do it. And then number three, to resolve to do it means you offer up yourself, your exterior self to God, and you commit to spending the time that's necessary to develop that inner relationship. We're going to spend three minutes. I'll watch the clock. You don't have to. You forget about everything about the, except this. And I want to take the first 20 seconds of this three minutes to invite anybody who's never surrendered their life to Christ in a personal way. Now, maybe you've been religious. Who cares? But do you have a personal relationship with him? And I want to lead you in a prayer that will establish that. And so under your breath, we don't have to pray this out loud, but right here, make this commitment between you and God and pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of your grace. But I thank you for dying for me and I ask you to forgive me. I surrender my life over to you. In Jesus' name. Now, everybody, wait on the Lord. Get a picture for how we want you to be and resolve that it shall be so. Amen.